to, to speak and to encourage the body with um, stories of what you've done in our midst. We love you. Amen. Good morning. My name is Liz Sue. Um, some of you know I was in that accident in February, slid under a semi, middle of the semi, and then the rear wheels hit, broke the, fractured the C1 and C2. God protected me in that accident in a variety of ways. And then he provided the people to help me pack up my house because I was getting ready to put the house on the market. And so many of you provided meals, and so many of you came and helped go through my stuff and help me sort and pack it up and give it away and throw it away. And, and the house was put on the market in April. I had 25 showings. I had a buyer come who backed out in September. In September, I had gone to North Carolina to go check out a place. I found a home. I found a barn for my horse. I found um, movers. And three days later, I had to cancel everything. Now, up to that point, I was pretty calm about everything, but now I'm foot stomping mad because I had a plan. I only wanted to be in Illinois for four years. Now it's been 36, 37. And I thought, here's my chance. Hasn't happened yet. I've had a lot of showings. I have a showing today at noon. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that it took me about a month to stop being mad about the buyers backing out. And I couldn't figure out why, because a lot of things have happened, and why am I so angry about this? It was the one time that I had made steps to go forward. Up to that point, things were happening to me, and I was just praising God for all the blessings and the glory. This one, I was like, I'm going to do it on my own. And he said, no, not yet. The physical therapy that I've gone through has been helping a lot with all the various things, and I think I'm pretty good. And then I see a second physical therapist in October, because the end of October, I would have been gone. So I see this physical therapist, and she says about 20 minutes into the session, so, Liz, we're going to need to do some brain rewiring work. And I thought, oh, I'm doing really well. But she noticed things weren't quite right. So I saw her about three or four times. And I'm here to tell you my brain is just as quick as it was before the accident. And if I hadn't been here, foot stomping mad, I wouldn't have seen her. So I know God has a plan. I always know he has a plan. Whether I like it or not, his plan is always better than mine. So I just wanted to share. Thank you. You were incredible. You could just talk and not have to read. If I try to talk, I will get off subject really quickly. So I wrote what I'm going to say, so forgive me for not looking at it. <laughs> How do I do that? Oh, step forward? Oh, okay. I thought you wanted me to lower it. Okay. See, I can't hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a sign that hangs where I work that I look at every day. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to say and I was struggling with what to say, I happened to read the sign and go, oh, that's it. And it says, 
we love others best when we love God most. And I've been learning that for 40 years now, that um, if I really want to love others and be like Jesus to them, my mindset has to be that my relationship to Jesus takes precedence over everything else. It is even more important than my relationship to my husband and my children. And a coworker reminded me of that uh, when she reminded me of a conversation she had with uh, Larry probably 25 years ago when we were coming up on a 20-something anniversary. And she said, um, how do you guys stay married so long? And Larry answered her. He said, we're both married to Christ before we're married to each other. And I find that in our desire to love others and please God, we at times get the cart before the horse by giving priority to what we do for Jesus over what we do with Jesus. We get caught up in the busyness of a lot of things and set aside our actual relationship. When I do this, I am exhausted and depleted. And I go running back to Jesus, and he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To willingly be under Jesus' yoke, one must love and trust him, and how can we love and trustingly submit to one that we barely know? We need to know what it looks like and feels like to actually be under his yoke. His yoke is not a one-size-fits-all. His yoke is designed individually for each of us. And it is his plan for our discipleship. To know and understand this takes time. There are no shortcuts. We need to make time to communicate to him and learn from him. But also, just plain time has to pass. I've heard that a tree does all its growing in a few weeks' time each year and then spends the rest of the year filling in the chanks. So while we need to commit to time to grow in our relationship with him by prayer and study, we also need to realize that it takes an amount of time for those things to sink in and become a part of our life that changes us into his image. When we go to his word, our purpose should not be to just become more moral or gain more knowledge or give more knowledge, but to gain and give more of him. We can't give something we don't have. We can't be someone we're not. He needs to be the one changing us, and our reservoir needs to be replenished regularly, and he's the only one who can actually replenish it. And it's difficult to tell others of Christ's love and faithfulness if we're seldom experiencing it ourselves. And it's difficult to experience his love without spending time with him. If you've ever heard the phrase, this person is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, my experience is that anybody who's truly heavenly-minded is automatically of some earthly good. And uh, I think about Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha got mad because cause Mary was uh, not working when she, when she wanted her to. And... Uh, Jesus said that Mary had chosen the good thing. But Mary didn't sit learning all the time. She also worked. And the Bible doesn't tell us how much time she sat at his feet. And I found that it's not an amount of time. It's a mindset. All my time belongs to God. There are seasons in our life that make carving out specific time with him challenging. When you have small children, you're lucky to get a quiet time at all, let alone regular time completely uninterrupted. You don't just tell the baby, I can't change your diaper now, I'm doing my quiet time. And as we get older, or even if we don't have, never have children, work, the needs of friends and family, all take up time 
in ways over which we don't necessarily have control. And early in my walk with Jesus, I was involved in a Bible study that required homework. And I have to say that doing that homework was something that at least kept me accountable. Sometimes when I had an incredibly busy week, at least I got my homework done. Reading and learning scripture has been the foundation of my relationship with him. When I read, I see who this God is that I serve. By learning and practicing, I've learned to run to him when I fail instead of curling up in a ball and retreating in shame because I found his forgiveness is real and complete. I've learned that no matter how busy I get, if I make reading scripture a necessary part of my life, I will find the time. And when I find I'm overwhelmed by busyness, busyness I ask him if he put me in this situation. If it is from him, I can bear it. He's shown me this is my yoke. But if I didn't listen to him and I was doing my own thing, I find out that I'm under somebody else's yoke. And I, I heard a preacher recently say an, an acronym for the word busy is being under Satan's yoke. And I found that knowing whose yoke I'm under comes by learning about him. In Hebrews it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If we continue to learn of him by reading and doing his word, he will continue to teach us when to go forward and when to stop. There have been times he's asked me to say no to things that had a screaming need, and I, I didn't know why he said no, and there have been other times that he has told me to keep going when I really wanted to stop. But I have found that when I obey his need, his lead, and I, then I see his provision, I gain his peace, and I am able to set my pride at his feet. He always fulfills his promises. His love is never-ending. And the kind of joy that he gives can't be taken away by my failures or the failures of others. He's completely faithful, and he always gives grace in time of need, and that is something I'm so thankful for. I'm thankful for these headphones that the church has provided because I can't hear anything. But now I can. They say when John Dunn preached, he always had an hourglass on his podium. And when the sand ran out, he would take the hourglass and slam it back down and just keep going. Luckily, I just have an egg timer. There's so many things that uh, we're fa thankful for. I mean, providing this, providing that. But what I, we're really thankful for are the people that have helped us out over the last weeks. So many of you, the, the ones who are stiff and maybe don't move as well, no, that's me, I'm the old guy, but the young people uh, worked so hard over the last week, and yesterday especially, did incredible things. I mean, we were able to sleep in our own bed, not just made, not just put together, but made, ready to go. I mean, so many things, we're so thankful, we're so grateful. Really appreciate the people of this church. I know others who couldn't make it were praying. We appreciate it so much. Thank you.
There's a mic on the side, just so you know. Um, so last month, <laughs> nothing too exciting. <laughs> um, I always get nervous, I guess. Um, I'm thankful for crying. <laughs> Uh, so last month, uh, my uh, sister-in-law's father passed away. He lived at Brookdale and Vernon Hills. And uh, most of her family is from out of town. And uh, so my brother came in town um, as well. And I got to see them almost every day that they were here. And um, But because most of them were out of town, they, you know, getting things settled with their uh, father's stuff and um, his car and all of his things, they kind of needed help with that. <laughs> so I uh, directed them to Love, Inc. for like donations and things, and then um, they didn't know what to do with his car, so I'm like, well, we've got a parking lot here, so maybe, uh, maybe I can ask if the car could sit here for a little while until they can get it sold off. Um, so I emailed the church, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Just give us information. Um, so I told them, hey, my church um, can provide a spot for the car until you could uh, sell it. Um, so we were having one, uh, dinner one night, and my um, sister-in-law's sister uh, was, was asking me, so your church sounds really cool. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so she's, uh, she said, well, tell me everything. What is it about your faith? I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. <laughs> so I had an opportunity. I don't remember anything I said, you know, because the Holy Spirit does that thing and I don't do anything that much. Um, so I got to share with them the gospel. My brother was there, and um, we both have background being in the church, but I don't know really know where he's at uh, with the Lord. So it was exciting to be able to share it that way with them. And um, uh, I'm not sure what will come out of it, but it was just a really cool op opportunity um, and talking about sharing the gospel even in sermon and through the gospel fluency book um it's just you know i guess you can do it <laughs> it's not that hard <laughs> so. Hey y'all, what's good everybody? My name is Mina. So on Tuesday, I had a couple of appointments. Uh, one was to check my neck and um, it's really funny. 
the uh, guy looks at my x-ray and he's like, oh, yeah, it looks really, really good. Everything's still in place. I think we can get you out of that neck brace. I'm like, I haven't been wearing it since, like, October. So I look at Michael and he's just, mm, girl, you know. So anyway, that appointment's done and we go to the next appointment, which was at 1 o'clock. And I get there and there's another lady. I'll just call her Mary. Mary's there and we're both waiting. We both have 1 o'clock appointments. And Jane, Jane is not there. So we're waiting. It's about 1.20. She shows up. And so Mary goes, but it's kind of in this one big space. So Michael and I are sitting against the wall in really uncomfortable chairs, and it's drafty. And then it's 1.45, and then it's 2, and it's, like, really long. And if you know me, I just can't tolerate driving around and being out for very long. And I don't know what made me stay. Normally, I would have just said, you know what, we'll come back. I got to go home. I got to lay down. But I felt the need to stay. And as I'm watching Mary and Jane interact, I'm catching some information, some free bits here and there from the conversation. And finally, at 2.30, it's our turn. An hour and a half later, it's our turn. So we sit down, and I also caught this bit. You know, she has her own doctor's appointment. She needs to get to way down by the lake. So she's really rushing us. We're we're talking, and we're both, like, we're both from Chicago. You know, she's a South Sider. Yo, go Sox. You know, we're like, that's all we need to know about you. You're cool. And, uh, you know, we're just chatting. And then she says, oh, and you live nearby. So, like, if I'm ever snowed in here at the office, I can come to your house and crash. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you can. And then she said, no, I'm joking. And I said, well, you know what? On Wednesday nights, we have friends come over. We sometimes share dinner, but mostly we just get together. We talk, and we pray, and we just share our lives with each other. She said, "Um, are you talking about a small group? And I said, yeah, I am. We call it a community group, but yeah, that's the same thing. And I said, you can come. We're there most Wednesdays. We're even just coming if we're not meeting. Come have dinner with us. So Jane was pretty, like, psyched and into that. And then we're talking some more, and she's kind of rushing us. And um, as we were leaving, I don't know why, I just, I felt like I needed to hug her. So I went and said, can I give you a hug? And she just fell into me and started sobbing. And it was really precious. And she clung on to me for quite a while, like, you know, go but she was not ready to let go so she's like okay and I just started praying over her and um she pulled away and she said you know we've moved I'm not going to my church anymore it's so far away I haven't I think I mentioned worship service and something coming up and she's like oh Jesus I have not even been to worship Jesus in so long I invited her to our church, and um, she lives far away. I said, if, if nothing else, we can find Michael's brother lives really close to where he lived. And I just realized why I persisted to sit there in those uncomfortable, cold chairs, why the Lord just kind of didn't give me a feeling of impatience or, you know, anger or anything. Like, I was just like, yeah, we're here. we got nothing to do. And it's because that needed to happen. And I was so encouraged because so many of you have been the voice of support and encouragement and comfort to me. I know there are so many times 
that the only reason I'm getting through a hard time is because so many of you out there are praying for me. I know it, and I feel it. I feel supported by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' strength himself. So I was prompted, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Isn't that amen? So I could do that for Jane. Yeah. Because he has comforted me through so many of you. That's not what it says here. Um, and in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Amen and praise the Lord. My name is Jerry. I think I got it. On Tuesday evening in my community group, uh, I was talking to Joey and Jenny, and uh, told them, oh, I've got a story I want to I want to tell you, and um, I'm going to tell a little bit of it now. Uh, it's a story that, an experience that I often ponder. Uh, I don't know, about five years ago, we, Debbie and I, were in a small town in North Texas, and we were looking for a country cemetery where I knew I had ancestors buried, and I wanted to see it. So we were driving in circles trying to find this country cemetery. Couldn't find it. The GP is off the grid. And finally, we went into the, the little town, and there was a visitor center and a lady, and we talked to her, can you find this cemetery for us? You know, we knew the name. So she started going through her books, and we're waiting. And while we're waiting, a man walks in to the visitor center who's a friend, right? He's from the town, and he's a friend of the lady, so he came in to visit her. Well, I don't remember how I got to speaking with him. I mean, we're the only ones standing in, in there. And he learns, you know, that we're from the Chicago area. Well, that triggered something, and this is about five years ago, and he starts talking politics to me, you know, a stranger. So I, I was kind of speechless, I uh, really didn't know how to respond, uh, but it was like, uh, being from Illinois, we're responsible for all the problems of the United States, you know? So, um, but, but then he says, um, there are two things I really love. And one of them was a particular political party that he really loved. And the other one was a particular university in Texas that's kind of rabid for its, you know, rah-rah. And all that, and I thought, yeah, I'm back in Texas. I'm back in Texas, which is where I'm from, which is where I'm from. And uh, so I kind of rattled. You know, I really didn't know how to respond. Well, it turned out that 
Mr. Collins knew exactly where the cemetery was because one of his pastures bordered it and his cows often wandered in to the cemetery. And he'd, so he, he gave us the directions, you know, so we got there. But, you know, after that encounter, I, and to this day I ponder that little interaction. And I think, you know, this Mr. Collins was a stranger and he came to me and talked to me and he shared with me his identity. Well, you know, what he identified in, what he really held as important in his life. And that child, do I, I started thinking, do I do that with strangers about my relationship with Christ? I mean, am I bold enough, and of course I'm not, I said, to, to share my identity in Christ with, with people? So that has really challenged me. And I thank Mr. Collins now. Um, for challenging me that way. And I still ponder it and think about it. And then finally, this year I've been, at the beginning of the year, I started deciding I need to go into scripture deeper. And I started using the study guide that the women's ministry is using for Romans 1 through 7. And it's really helped me. But just one of the many ways that I've grown by being in the Word and using the study guide is just realizing deeper and more intimately my identity with Christ, what that is, what that means. And of course, it's so deep, I'll spend the rest of my life pondering that, but, but just the fact that my unity, our unity in Christ, and I was, and we were united with him in his death, his crucifixion on the cross, when he was being nailed to the cross, my sins were being nailed to the cross and were being God's wrath when it was being poured onto Christ, was being poured on my, my sins, my sinful self. And Jesus was paying the penalty right there for our sins. And I, I need to ponder that and I identify with that when he was buried, my sinful self was buried with him. And it's still there in the grave. My sinful self has no power. My old self has no power over me today. And oftentimes I have to remind myself of that. But I'm united in him in that, in his burial. That's part of my identity. And then, of course, when he rose from the dead into new life, we were united with him and are still united with him in his new life. And, um, and for, forever will be. So now that's the identity. That's my identity that I'm still praying I can share with folks, with strangers, with someone like Mr. Collins, who <laughs> you know, shares his identity with me. And I, can, I, I think, oh, if I could only meet him again and tell him, well, I'd like to share with you my identity and share what I just shared with you. So, thank you. Some of you know I'm a teacher, so for me, the year never starts in January. It always starts in August. And so August is the time when I kind of relook at my life before the Lord and try to see what new things I should be doing. And this year I felt challenged to make my commute more meaningful. 
I listen to audiobooks, and so the challenge has been during this school year is to listen to audiobooks that are going to grow my faith. All right, thanks. All right, so I think what's amazed me is how much I have already been challenged since August. One of the books that's really challenged me is a book called God's Smuggler. It's about Brother Andrew, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to do it, because every day I got in the car for my commute, and I was challenged again. He's someone who, when there was the Iron Curtain communist countries, he was smuggling Bibles into those countries, and he would have the interesting prayers like, Lord, you made blind eyes see, and now I ask you to make seeing eyes not see. And he would literally have a car in front of him that they'd spend an hour taking off hubcaps, looking if there were smuggled things, and then he would be sent through with a 30-second go-through, even though he had Bibles all over his car. He called it the royal way of living a life, just trusting in God to do that. The other thing that really impressed me in that book are the people who sent him. It was a man who owned his construction company. He and his wife, they didn't give one-tenth of their income. They gave away nine-tenths of their income and lived on one-tenth and put themselves in the place where they didn't rely on themselves. They had to rely on God. And God has been encouraging me to look at the royal way in my own life. How much am I relying on myself and my stuff, and how much am I relying on him? And can I live in a way that I'm relying more on him daily in his royal way? Marcia, many of you prayed for me starting last fall um, for a new direction in my life. So two years prior to that, I had left a long career in the corporate world, and I just was really struggling with what to do with the rest of my life. I knew I couldn't sit around knitting for the next 20 years, so uh, as much as I love knitting... Um, I knew that God had something more for me, and many of you prayed for me about that, so I really appreciate that. And through the course of that, I, you know, as we prayed, I was thinking, you know, asking God in listening prayer, in a posture of listening, what's next? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And through prayer and many other circumstances and discussions with people, um, the Lord led me to apply for a substitute teaching job. So starting in September, I've been substitute teaching at the um, elementary school level, K through 8. Um, I've done many different grades. I really enjoy it. I love being around the kids. Um, Anyone who doesn't think that there are real differences between men and women needs to spend a day in a third grade classroom. Um, <laughs> um, and the, the only reason I can, I can get through the day is because I know I don't have to go back tomorrow. Um, so, but I, I, no, really, I'm having a lot of fun. As those of you who talked, I, I really am. So, um, 
so God provided this job for me that I really enjoy, and that's, that's one thing. That's one level. But as Mike talked about, what is really the way of Jesus in this? And as I thought about it, I thought, um, compared to what I was doing before in my job, I used to, I used to be somebody. I used to be somebody. And so my prayers have really shifted in a listening posture. I'm still in a listening posture from, God, what do you want me to do? To, God, what are you saying to me about me? What are, what are you saying to me? And... That, I really think, is, is the way of Jesus, is that there's always something deeper. And so one of the verses that God provided for me was Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And as the Lord gave me that verse, I really, it's really sinking into me that that's how he feels about me. And even though I used to be somebody in my job, that, and I have a, I have a different calling now, but that doesn't change how God feels about me. Uh, good morning, Trinity. My name is Jeff Allen. Marsha, I just want to say that was really cool. Um, identity, right? We good, John? So, first of all, just so thankful for this church, thankful for the teaching to sit under Mike. Um, I feel like through Matthew and through the elders, we've been learning so much about the culture and how the culture shifts our thinking away from biblical mindset and away from a gospel-centered approach and how you're bringing us back to that. And to me, that's so important and so key. I've been really been learning a lot about that this year. Um, I also wanted to just highlight our community group and just say how thankful I am for the members of our group. Um, I think about Acts 2, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's been a challenging season, I think, for many in our community group with medical issues, financial issues, work issues and challenges. But to see us imperfect people coming together and really utilizing our gifts and encouraging each other has been such an incredible blessing. And something I've, I've really thought for a while and, and wanted to share with you all, too, is that it seems to me that when we start to take a step out in faith, whether it's to join a community group or get more involved or share the gospel, something new, usually we, we uh, encounter opposition. 
And I believe that's because the enemy is really good at stopping us just when we want to get momentum. So my encouragement to all of us is that when you do take that step and you receive that opposition, whether it's conflict or something else, to persevere because we know that, that that's something the enemy does not want. So, and, and a last thing that I want to share has to do with, um, with my wife. And she doesn't know I'm going to do this. Um, so I am so thankful for Carissa and something she has really taught me and she has bought in is when JP has been teaching us about the importance of community and neighbors. And Carissa has been outstanding in being a neighbor in our community, um, even going so far as to, to just befriend moms. And she has, over the past few years, just been such a blessing and made such amazing relationships with our neighbors in our community. And so I wanted to share something uh, from Scripture, from Proverbs 31, that I believe she embodies. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the days to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Praise God. Thanks to everyone who shared. Um, on Family Sundays, you can tell we're nearing what should be the end of the service by just this like sort of low-grade hum of children becoming more and more antsy. So we're reaching that threshold. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team to come up and, and prepare. And I'll just share briefly kind of what I think is one of the things that the Lord is doing in, in me is, um, is you know, I, I think I'm realizing the, the very great value of just sort of showing up. <laughs> um, that, you know, um, when you have really, really young kids and a baby that's teething in a pretty extreme way and uh, some with night terrors, sleep deprivation becomes real for you. Um, and so your functionality goes down hard. Um, and, and what I have to bring to my times in prayer and to my times in, in Scripture is, uh, is just bare minimum. Um, but what I'm realizing is that ours is not a faith about us bridging the gap between us and the Creator. It's about Him bridging that gap. And that there's a, a value in just sort of showing up to, to regularly read and to receive from him. Many, many days I walk away just feeling like, well, at, at best I got new information, but not transformation. And yet he is also faithful very unexpectedly sometimes to, to penetrate the wall of my distraction and my sleep deprivation and to call me to repent of things that I need to repent of. Um, give me wonder about who he is as the ground of all being, as the, the maker of all things and the sustainer of all things, and to show me the grace of Christ for me, um, which extends endless forgiveness, that again and again he, he, he is there. Um, so that's my encouragement, is just there's a great value in showing up because our faith is not about us being everything we need to be, it's about him being everything that we need him to be.